Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. As you heard, we are starting a new series this morning. And uh, back in August, I... August for me is kind of a writing sabbatical. It's a time when I take specific time just to, not that I don't do this frequently, but, but it's a purpose time where I'm seeking the Lord to try and understand where is it that you want us to go in this coming year. And one of the things that the Lord does during that time is he gives me, he gives me a direction of messages, the series of messages. I don't have the full totality of all of the message, but he gives me the direction for that message. And uh, in that message, he, uh, in that time, he, he kind of gives me the platform to begin uh, a series. One of the things that came to my heart in praying and seeking was the story of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we have those commandments as they are given. And uh, it's, it's interesting. When I use the term... Ten Commandments, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Boy, don't we hear that. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. <laughs> Rules, regulations, do's and don'ts, prohibitions, God snuffing out our fun. And kind of what we think? God is up there just looking down his... to see who... That's kind of the attitude that most generally we think about when we think about these commandments. They're really not. Um, the commandments are, are more than do's and don'ts. Uh, it's interesting that he, we get the title, Ten Commandments. That, that wasn't something that Charles, Charles and Heston came up with, all right? <laughs> that, that wasn't a Cecil B. DeMille's concept. This was God's concept. Exodus 34 says, so... He was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate, drank bread, or drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This was God's title. This wasn't Moses. This wasn't man's. Uh, It's interesting. But in in that concept, as we studied this, as I, I began to pour into the research behind the message and the series of messages that we'll be doing, how many of you think there's 10 of them? <laughs> All right. It's a little long for a series, but I think you will appreciate it as we walk through it. One of the things that I found, I, I, I glad, uh, garnered as many resources as I could, picked up books. I, I went online and pulled down things. And it was amazing as I began to really walk through this, I don't think I finished any one of those books. Because in the processes of all of this, God began to show me something. These were not do's and don'ts. Oh, they are commandments. Don't misunderstand that. But more than just simply commandments, they are really speaking about what I think is the bedrock. And that's the relationships that God wants to have with you and me. And the relationships he wants us to have with one another. And the commandments are not merely a prohibition of doing this or not doing that. It's really about developing relationship with him. It's it's a powerful thing. 
it, it goes beyond the, the, the simple concepts of you, you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. The first four of the commandments deal with our relationship between us and God himself. We're going to look at that as we walk through that. Each one of these has a unique, different dynamic of relationship with him. The last six deal with the relationships we have with one another, how we relate to one another. The concept of relationship, say that with me, relationship, relationship. That, that's, that's interaction. That's interpersonal. That's the dynamic of, of working in harmony with one another, getting to know one another, relating to one another. What I found, though, as I began to walk through these commandments was that each one of them bear out a principle that develop a deeper walking relationship with one another and with the Lord. I, I looked at them. I, I'm not rewriting the commandments, by the way. Hello? Who, that's above my, gray pay, my pay grade, all right? I, I, that's not what I'm doing. But I have found a principle that can be assigned to each one of these that deal with the relationship God wants. For example, the principle of priority. We're going to talk about this this morning. The principle of purity, the principle of humility, the principle of rest, the principle of honor, of love, of in intimacy, of trust, the intimacy of, or the, the principle of honesty, the principle of contentment. These are the commandments that we see that we call the Ten Commandments in the sense of the principles that God wants to bring. It's interesting that he reminds the children of Israel that there is this relationship, that they belong to him, that he belongs to them. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because he's saying, I bought you back, that you would be redeemed, that you would be in relationship with me. He didn't just do that for the Jewish people alone. He did it for us as well. In Romans 6, he says, Know this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer live as slaves to sin. How many of you have ever been a slave to sin? And friends, it's not fun because it is a, it's a wicked taskmaster. He redeemed us. From the slavery of sin to the freedom as children of God. And that's exactly what he did with the children of Israel. He redeemed them out of 430 years of slavery. He brings them into this relationship. So the commandments are really ten principles. Here's the thing that, that, that I capture with this. He wants a relationship with us. But you determine the depth of that relationship with God. Catch that. He doesn't determine your relationship with him. You determine that relationship. And we're going to look at that as we walk through this this morning. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 or 1 to or verse 3 to verse 17, you have the, the embodiment of these Ten Commandments. It's interesting, though, that what occurs following that in, in verse 18 really is significant to this whole concept of these commandments and what I believe God is speaking to us in relationship to these commandments. 
Read it with me. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpets and the mount smoke, mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled. Now listen to this. And stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us. And, he will, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test or to prove you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Now listen to the way it says it. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The people stood way off. Not Moses, man. He ran to God. He got in as close as he could. It's, it's interesting when you read this. It, I find a lot of similarities. People want a relationship with God through somebody else. Moses, you go up on the mountain. You talk to God and you come back and tell us what God is saying. Isn't that what typical congregations say? Pastor, you get before God all week long and you go and find out what he wants and then you come back and tell us what he says. How many of you learn to read by the time you're in the third grade? How many of you can read this book? Then you go for yourself. Well, what are we paying you for? For me to tell you, you go read for yourself. Hello? I'm not a priest in that sense. I'm not that intermediary. I, yes, I, I'm a, a man of God. I'm a, a prophet of God. I am a preacher of God, if you will. I do go before the Lord. I do hear him. I come back to declare to you what thus saith the Lord. But you can hear him yourself. That's a good place for a big amen. See, they didn't want to meet God. Because they said it very well. If we come into his presence, we're going to die. Flesh always dies in the presence of God. And some of this flesh needs to die. How many of you have ever struggled with a besetting sin? How many of you have ever struggled with an addictive life? How many of you have ever struggled with a demon that just doesn't want to let you go? I'll tell you how you get rid of that. You get rid of it by going into the presence of God. Snuggling up as close as you can to Jesus. Getting into his book. Understanding that prayer does change you. It doesn't change God. It changes you. Coming into his presence. Being full of his spirit. Letting the spirit of God lead you and guide you and teach you. Getting into his presence. Not standing afar off. Not letting somebody else pray for you. Oh, I think it's okay to pray for one another. But why can't we pray for ourselves? Why can't we enter into the presence of God for ourselves? Why can't we seek God for ourselves? Why do we have to stand way off? Let's get in there and dig in for God. Psalms 103 verse 7 says this. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. 
he made way, made, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew what he did. Moses knew why he did what he did. There's a difference. We can stand and watch and observe and see what God does. But sometimes we don't know why he does what he does. And we can know why he does what he does when we get into his presence, when we come near him, when we, as Moses, press into him. We can know why he does what he does. You know, somebody said God answers prayer in one of three ways. Yes, no, and you've got to be kidding. (laughs) How many of you figured that out? You know, a no is an answer. We have a choice of having a relationship with God based on thou shalt or thou shalt not. Or we can have a relationship based on principles that allow us to grow deep in and with him. Do you understand that? We can can have a relationship built on rules and regulations Or we can have a relationship built on him out of relationship, his care, his love, his concern, understanding, feeling, and sensing the intimacy of the life that we live. God loves us. He cares about us. He wants to guide us. He wants to superintend us. I look at my life, and I I said it in a first service, and I truly believe this. It's like my life, as I look back over my life. It's not that I haven't had choices or I haven't had a, a will or I haven't had the ability to do and choose. But in many ways, when I yielded my life to the Lord, it's like he put my life almost on an autopilot. When he, I believe the word that says he directs the steps, he orders the steps of the righteous. It, it, it wasn't that he, he just put me on remote control or he just grabbed me and moved me this way or this way. No, it's, it, he, he ordered opportunities and steps and directions. And as I simply walked in those, I could never, I could never have planned out the life that he planned for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, this, it's this relationship. I, I meant it when I came to Jesus. You meant it when you came to Jesus. But the world and the, and, the, and, the, and the enemy of our soul wants to hold us back and wants to throw stuff at us to keep us from pressing in. He wants to press us back and he puts cares and he puts all of this stuff on us to try and keep us afar off. God wants us to draw near. Worship here comes in the understanding that we worship only God. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I look at a passage of scripture, I look at a sentence like that, and I just, it's, it's, maybe it's a flaw, I don't know, but my, my nerdiness comes in. Because I look at the words, and the words are unique. If you, if you took off before me, if you just scratched that off of the page, that passage is complete all in itself. You shall have no other gods. Does that make sense? But then he adds before me, before is either a preposition 
or, or, or it's, it's a conjunction. A conjunction joins two thoughts. That's not what this is. In some, some ways, you could have read this. There are other gods, but they can't be before me. That's not what he's saying. It almost alludes to that, though, but that's not what it's saying. You shall have no other gods before me. Doesn't mean that you can have any other God. That's not what it's saying. It is a preposition. You shall have no other God, period. You've got to understand that word before is also rendered in the Hebrew beside, in front, in back, above, beneath, in my face. You will have no other gods, period. Hello? Does that make that clear? He's, he's clarifying the whole concept there. It, it's a powerful word. You've got to understand that, that Israel, the children of Israel, have been in bondage to the Egyptian peoples for 430 years. And the culture that they were in bondage to was a polytheistic culture, meaning many gods. They had 29 principal gods. They had 2,000 lesser gods. Can you imagine that? I, I have the names of those gods up here, and, and it, I'm not going to go and read all of them. You can, you can look at them, but these are the 29 principal gods that the Egyptians worshipped. It's interesting, if you look in, in the alphabetical order of this, there's one by the name of Happy. Happy, happy, happy. And they weren't very happy. And then you go down to the ends and you've got one that's called none and another one called nut. I don't know what. No other gods before me. No other gods before me. What does that mean, no other gods before me? It means just that. What do you worship? What do you worship? When Sherry and I were younger and we pastored churches, the Lord showed me something and he showed it to me many years ago when I learned many years ago a very tough lesson. I love the Lord. I love the church. Sherry's told me many times she thinks it's my mistress. I love the church. But the church should never come between me and God. The work I do should never come between me and God. The work I do should never come between me and my bride. And in our zealousness, building churches, building the kingdom, doing what we did for the work of God, we worked hard, and churches grew, and God blessed. But when I began to reevaluate all of that, the Lord really began to show me something. A lot of what I was doing wasn't really for the kingdom. 
that really wasn't for Jesus. It was for my own pedigree. It was for my own pride. It was for me to say, look what I did. It became a God. Even working in the kingdom of God, even building the kingdom of God, even building churches. If it's not for the right purpose, can become a God before God. It was a tough one. It was a real one. Then God says, put him first. No other gods, one thing. God being God, period, is one thing. But putting him first is another story. What's first in your life? What is first in your life? Fishing? I like to fish. I'm afraid, though, that someday when I die, they're going to put a fish on my marker. I just don't really want a fish on my marker. <laughs> the reason for it is that they're not going to have a marker large enough to put the fish that I catch off. That's bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, Jesus. Even if it is true. <laughs> but what's first in your life? What's first in your life? The good answer would be God is first in our life, right? We have the order something like this, God, and then our family, and then, then what we do, right? Who said? I'll tell you how it works. If I can't learn to serve her, how in the world am I going to ever learn to serve God? If she's not first, God's not first. Because if God is first, he's going to help me serve her first. Because if I can't learn to serve her first, I'll never learn to serve God. My family is first. That doesn't mean that they take the place of God. Please hear me. Hear my heart. We can get so caught up in the ambitions of our life and in all of the things that we do. And we can put jobs and we can put reputations and we can put all of our careers and we can put the seeking of financial security and all of these things to the forefront of everything that we do and forsake our families in so doing. And when we do that, the word says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? I prophesied this in a different way. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his wife, to lose his children, to lose his grandchildren, to lose his integrity because he's seeking all of these things? Put God first. Make him the priority of everything you do. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, 
after their exile, after the exodus of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God spoke to Joshua and said, there are 10 cities that you're to go and conquer. And the first city you come to is the city of Jericho. And once you come across and you go into that city, everything that's there belongs to me. You're to bring it into the holy place. It is consecrated to me. It is a tithe, if you will, of the ten. You can have everything else in the other nine, but this one is mine. You're putting me first. Now, up to this point in time, everybody's happy, but now you think I'm going for your wallet. I'm not taking up an, altar, uh, an offering. I don't think. <laughs> but what I am talking about is giving God prior claim to everything we have. I'm not talking about tithes and offerings per se. I am talking about simply putting him first, making him first. Do I make him first? Or do I have excuses for everything else? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come to church when, it's, when I don't have anything better to do. I'm going to come to church when I don't have anything else on my schedule. You're not putting him first. You're putting yourself first. There he went to meddling. I consider it a gift. Put him first. Put him first. It was the first city. It belongs to me. He says, the firstborn of your flocks belong to me. God wants to be first because he wants to be first in your life. He wants the first because he wants to be the first. Does that make sense? Well, boy, you're, you don't sound too... This, this, passage, this passage came, listen to this, this passage came 2,500 years, 2,500 years before God would command tithing, before, it, it would come before the principle, this whole concept of putting God first started back in the Garden of Eden. Before God introduced Abraham the idea of tithe, before God introduced the commandments, before God introduced the concept of tithing, 2,500 years earlier, the principle of putting him first was the forefront of the whole thing. If you go back to, to, to uh, Cain and Abel, what an interesting story. Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God. One was accepted, one wasn't. I want you to read with me Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Say that with me, an offering. You know what that was? Could have been the leftovers. It could have been any part of an offering. It could have been anything. It, was, it wasn't specific. It wasn't a purpose thing. It was an offering. Of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought what? Of the firstborn of his flocks. He gave God first. He gave God the priority. He gave God the very beginning. He gave God the best. Now 
And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. What's the difference between Cain and Abel? They both brought an offering. The whole concept was, where was the position of God in their lives and in their giving? Cain somewhat gave an offering to God out of obligation. It was an, an obligatory concept. It was just, well, I want to do this. No, 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 no. That's the wrong reason to ever give. You know, I find it most amusing. Last Sunday, we had 437 in church. It's a big Sunday. I told our, our bookkeepers and, and the ones taking care of the offerings, I said, every Easter is the lowest offering we have in the year. People will give an obligatorial gift. It's not tithe. Because we don't put him first. It's just something we do. God doesn't want to be just something. He wants priority. And it isn't that he's looking down his nose at us. It's because he wants the best for us. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to bless you, not curse you. To give to you blessing and a hope. That's what he wants for us. God doesn't need your money. How many is that news to you? God doesn't need your money. I've got news for you. He owns it all already. When you die, guess what? It isn't going with you. I saw a picture of a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, but it wasn't going to a cemetery. Hello? God owns it all. He created it all. He owns this beautiful ocean. He owns the wonderful forests and all of the, 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 the pristine beauty. He owns the mountains, the streams. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the cattle and the potatoes under them. He knows everything about it. He owns it all. And all he says to us is have no other God and make me first. And when you make me first, watch and see if I don't pour out to you a blessing you cannot even contain. That's the promise of God. Seek ye first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things, say it with me, all these things, say it a little louder, all these things will be added unto you. There's a beautiful story in 1 Kings 17. God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, I want to get the attention of the leadership of Israel. And he says, I'm calling, telling you to go to Ahab and tell him there's going to be a drought in the land for three and a half years. So he does. And then he hightails it to a place called Cherith. And the drought comes. No rain. But there at Cherith, there's this stream, there's this brook that gives him fresh water every day. And while he's there, 
God sends ravens. Now, you've got to understand, a raven is an unclean bird in the Jewish culture. Because if you've ever driven down a road, you see ravens on the side of the road. They're not eating fresh berries and nuts. But what does he do? God, in his majesty, takes that which is unclean, and he uses it to bring the best to his prophet. And he feeds him there until the drought becomes so severe that the brook dries up and the ravens fail to bring food. And Elijah says to God, what do I do? And God says, I want you to go to the city of Zarephath and there's a widow woman and she's going to provide for you. Elijah put God first. Spoke the word that God gave him to the king. Puts himself in this place where God takes care of his needs on a daily basis. Follows the Lord's leading and goes to the city of Zarephath. And there he finds this little widow. And he asks her for some water and she gives him water. And then then he says, would you give me some food? He sees her and she's picking up sticks and she's saying, she says, these sticks that I'm picking up, I'm taking home and I'm going to make a fire. And with what meal and what oil I have, I'm going to make a loaf that my son and I might eat because there's no food left. We will then die. And Elijah says, do as you have told me, but give me the loaf first. For I say to you, he gave her a prophetic word that when you do this, you're not just doing it for the prophet. You're doing it for God himself. You're honoring him. You're putting him first. You're putting God first. When you put him first, he's going to oblige himself that there will always be enough flour and enough oil to feed you until this drought is done. And that's exactly what he did. It's interesting how God met the provision. He said to Elijah, you go, and as he went, he went, and the widow provided for him. But as Paul Harvey would say, and the rest of the story, (laughs) Elijah came, and because of Elijah's coming, brought the provision of God for that widow. And it all started by putting God first. I could tell you story after story when you put God first. You could tell you your own story of how God has provided when you put him first. Put him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, there's nothing we've shared that's new. But the principle of priority, it's there. It's there to bring us into this incredible place of relationship with you and 
And the fact that, God, you know us and you care about us and you want to provide for us. Father, we're thankful for that provision. We're thankful that you care enough to make known your presence to us. 1 Kings 17 is a beautiful story, but Lord, it doesn't end there. You're still wanting to provide for us. But it comes to greater dimension when we when we put you first. We put our affections of you first. We put our treasure for you first. We put our our time for you first. We don't give you the leftovers. When we give you the best. You honor that, Lord. You honor that because it's simply saying that you are our God only. And that we recognize that place that you hold in first priority to us in everything we do. Yet, Lord, it's so hard to do that. I struggle with that, Father. I can get so busy and I can get so caught up in things that I forget. And I run ahead of you or I lag way behind you. And yet, Father, you're there, always there, always patient, always waiting, always willing. And when I finally come back, you haven't left. You're there with arms wide open, 